Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you, June 4th, 2021. Wow. Uh, glad to be with you. Glad it's June, and that usually means, or has in the past, it's time for some postseason South Carolina baseball. Uh, Going to talk a little about the game, answer some baseball questions. Uh, this podcast is probably going to drop right around 10 a.m. Eastern, so noon first pitch. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because some of you will listen to this after the game uh, and you don't want to hear me blabber on and on about a game that uh, the Gamecocks have either won or lost. So it's not a review, it's a preview. It's about 8.42 a.m. Eastern right now while I'm recording this. Gamecocks play Virginia. had an article up on the website yesterday. Uh, Again, this podcast is not about promoting thebigspur.com, although I do do it. You can read or not read. It's a free article, though, so you don't have to join to read it. Uh, it's about Carolina and Virginia and sort of the history there uh, between the two schools in major sports since the end of the ACC era. And I mentioned, you know, look, it's like when, when people, Gamecock fans, talk about the ACC, it's like taking a ride through the old neighborhood. The bottom line is, at this point in history, South Carolina has been in the Southeastern Conference for 30 years. They were only in the ACC for 18 uh, before that, it was the Southern Conference or, or whatever. And, you know, that was a period in time where a lot of Gamecock fans, when I kind of came of age, uh, you know, I kind of started understanding football in 1986 when I was nine years old and uh, for that season. And, um, you know, before that, I, I understood baseball and basketball, didn't really understand the whole notion of football. But, boy, once I got it, it became my favorite sport pretty quick. But uh, – that, uh, you know, during that period of time, South Carolina was an independent. They were 15 years removed from the league. Most of the fan base hated NC State and Clemson. Obviously, Clemson's still a rival. Uh, but NC State, North Carolina, those schools uh, did not like them. Virginia, you know, I, and I went through it, kind of talked about it a little bit. And especially in basketball, you know, for years it was hard for the Gamecocks to get any kind of home-and-home uh, with any ACC school. And, you know, you look at Carolina and Virginia, uh, you know, they had a home and home recently. Frank Martin and Tony Bennett got that done. But before that, they had met like three times, uh, once in Puerto Rico, once in Alaska, once in Hawaii. And that was kind of the only time, with the exception, I think, of NC State during the Odom era and, and that thing in Charlotte that they played UNC. You know, the, the, the ACC, ACC schools would not play the Gamecocks. You know, they, they just kind of were averse to that. Football was a different story. You know, Gamecocks always play. NC State always played the Gamecocks. They played Virginia, all that good stuff. But what's interesting about it is, that, you know, South University of South Carolina, University of Virginia, culturally, academically, you know, school mission-wise, fan base culture. I mean, they are nothing alike. Virginia is a coastal ACC type of athletic program, similar to North Carolina in a lot of ways. Um, probably has more in common with the Big Ten school, to be honest. Uh, Gamecocks, obviously, are a Southeastern, big state-supported Southeastern Conference program. Probably more in common with Virginia Tech if you're looking at the two Virginia schools. But athletic history-wise, 
you know, if there's a program out there that's had more rotten luck and, and un- inexplicable losses and things like that than the Gamecocks, it's Virginia. I mean, you look at their basketball program, won a national championship, but the year before they were the first number one seed to go out to a 16. Uh, we remember Virginia's pitcher in the College World Series a couple of years ago mowing the Gamecocks down, and then all of a sudden he had to leave the game inexplicably. Uh, a couple of years ago in football, they had Virginia Tech on the ropes uh, and were trying to break like a 13-game losing streak, and it was just fumbled it away. That was the, that was the year they beat Carolina in the belt bowl. And, and with these two teams, it, it, you know, in all sports, the unexpected has normally happened. Uh, you know, Carolina went to Charlottesville as a two seed in 06 and won the regional. You know, it wasn't just the Gamecocks that put the Cavaliers out. Evansville ended up doing it, uh, which was weird. Uh, those two games in Omaha, Carolina won. In basketball, uh, you know, Eddie Fogler's SEC championship team lost by 23 in the season opener to the Wahoos. Uh, ended up being pretty good, though, winning the SEC title going 24 and eight. So it's, it's been, it's been quite an interesting uh, turn of events when these two schools have met in the three major men's sports since Carolina left the Atlantic coast conference. And we don't need to mention the belt bowl a couple of years ago in football. It's, it's been really weird because Carolina has been the favorite most of the time. The, the one time I don't think they were was Oh three. Uh, when Matt Schwab, Virginia was in the top 15, Matt Schwab got, uh, sideline for that game I think Marquise Higgins played quarterback for them that game I'm not sure um and it was just Carolina blew them out 31-7 in a sweltering day in Columbia Corey Boyd carried the ball and I think knocked a Virginia linebacker out Dondre Pinkins had a 99-yard touchdown pass but the year before Carolina went up as a top 25 team to Charlottesville Virginia was 0-2 they had they had had kind of an early game they lost, and they lost another one. They were 0-2. It ended up beating Carolina 34-21. Carolina had seven turnovers. Uh, in 1986, Todd Ellis' first road start, my first year following the Gamecocks, uh, Carolina opened with Miami, and Miami, I think, won the, played for the national title that year, lost to Penn State, won 34-14. Carolina goes to Virginia the next weekend. What ended up being a three and eight Virginia team under George Welsh ambushed the Gamecocks 30 to 20, still turnover type of game. You know, so football's been weird. <laughs> uh, Gamecocks have been kind of, you know, I guess, since since 1986, they've been two and three against the Wahoos. Uh, there's a 58 to 10 win by the Gamecocks at 87 to get the revenge from the year before. But uh, it's been interesting. Basketball, too. You know, who would have expected Frank Martin to? take his team to Charlottesville in you know, two years ago and beat him by 11 points, the defending national champs. Uh, on top of that, if you there's another connection there if you want. Uh, Virginia was one of the top seeds uh, in the NCAA tournament when it was a Colonial Life Arena. So I went through all that and talked about the ACC days. At some point, we won't be talking about the ACC days anymore uh, because many of you are, are younger and, and the people that had that connection are getting older. That's why, you know, the, the games – I think that's, that's one of the reasons the games with North Carolina and NC State and Charlotte really hadn't taken off, you know, besides some poor planning and kickoff times the ticket prices and all that, uh, is because, the, it you know, this is now an, an SEC athletic program. And South Carolina fans 
are more fired up to go play Georgia and Tennessee and Florida and Auburn and those teams than they are the the schools from North Carolina. And that's just it. Now, I'm not saying certainly there's five games on the schedule with North Carolina and NC State coming up. And, and I think that 2023 game with UNC and Charlotte will be much more well attended because I think by that point, you know, you hope that Beamer's got the thing going in Columbia and then these recruits Mac Brown's getting obviously are going to be coming of age. They're going to be tremendously talented. Uh, and so that should be a little bit bigger game than, you know, playing the Larry Fedora teams or whatever. But, uh, you know, one day the ACC angle is going to fade out, but not right now, you know, still not bad to take a walk down memory lane. And in baseball, Virginia and South Carolina have been, you know, for, Gosh, 15 years now, two of the better programs overall in the country. Now, like the Gamecocks, Virginia's had some hard times. This is their first trip back to the NCAA tournament in three years. Uh, since the national championship, they, they sort of have fallen off a little bit. Uh, but they had a good run at the end of the year, 12-5 and five finish. They got Abbott on the mound today. Going to be key for the Gamecocks to hit the baseball. But the, the bigger picture is this. And I, and I talked to a friend of mine a lot about – coaches and standards and you know it's all private conversations and stuff uh and we got to talking yesterday over messenger and we started talking about the standard of the baseball program and here's the bottom line you know in football and in men's basketball at the school you know you have a long history of going up and down it's gut-wrenching moments followed by occasional moments of triumph um, and, and that's fine. And, and, you know, you, you get, yeah, I mean, I, you like in 2014 in football, for example, Carolina goes seven and six, but you know, they blew three late leads, which sucked, but they beat Georgia. They beat Florida. They beat Miami. Um, you know, those are historically schools that the Gamecocks have no business beating, uh, and, and, you know, all won the independence, but it's all in all a good year. They, you know, pretty good year. Got a got an independence bowl trophy at the end. And, you know, it, it was down compared to the rest of the seasons, but uh, before that, but it was, it was acceptable, you know, baseball and, and, and Ray Tanner, when, when he was coaching at Carolina used to mention all the time, you know, and I think maybe all of us took it for granted because during, during his whole tenure, the other sports were up and down, up and down. It was the Lou Holtz era in football. You had Dave Odom, Darren Horn, Eddie Fogler at the beginning. Uh, finally, Frank Martin, who was building. And, and it, it it just – it was inconsistent. You know, you, you had some consistency in football under Spurrier as the program gradually got better. But, you know, when you're talking about competing on a national level, winning a championship, you can count on baseball. And I said this, you can count, you can always count on Ray Tanner's teams. Even the years they did not go to the Super Regionals, you know, you, you kind of walked away saying, hey, they gave it all they got. To the last out, this program fought. To the last out, this program battled. To the last out, you walked away from the season going, hey, get them next year. You know, even when they didn't win the whole thing. I mean, I don't know of a single Gamecock fan that was upset after Arizona beat them in 2012. Because at some point in baseball, you, I mean, you win 22 straight NCAA tournament games, you're you're eventually going to lose in baseball. Um, and Tanner always talked about how hard that was. 
And I think everybody was kind of like, well, yeah, you're doing it and, you know, you're awesome and blah, blah, blah. Tanner, the baseball coach, uh, you know, it, it's an elite program. This is what elite programs do. And I think we're finding out that it is hard. You know, like I said, look at Virginia. This is their first trip back to the tournament in two years. But the bottom line is, is that you have a standard for South Carolina baseball. Uh, yes, some people compared it to Alabama football when the Gamecocks were rolling. And, and look, that was as runs go in college baseball. You know, I don't think we're ever going to see another Southern Cal situation where, you know, they were kind of like the UCLA basketball of the 70s and they kept rolling up national titles in college baseball. I think there's too many programs that put an emphasis on it now. Uh, but for that, those three years and th- that three-year run, I mean, it was it was amazing. And it was all about the postseason. I mean, it wasn't you – know, Gamecocks during the regular season, they'd lose games they shouldn't and or you shouldn't think they would and all that. I think they tied for the SEC championship just one of those years. Uh, you know, Spurrier used to say it's harder to win the SEC than the national title. I, I think in baseball that's especially true. But uh, – you know, you, you look at it, and, and that's the standard, okay? So you got Mark Kingston. I uh, And my buddy disagrees because the 12-4 the and four start uh, last season that got canceled, obviously there were some issues. They had lost to Clemson in a series. They would lost to freaking Northwestern in a series. I've got some ties to Chicago. I'll tell you this right now. There's no way Northwestern should take a series in Columbia against the Gamecocks in baseball. Um. If you think about it, you know, that that's that's not they're not the, the best program out there. Um, so 12 and four is not a bad record when you look at it, but I don't think things were going extremely well. But I also think that you can't count that. You know, you can't sit there and go, well, that team would have not done this or that done that. Because if you'd have looked at let's say Kingston's first season was canceled midway through, you know, you just said, like, this is awful. You know, and it ended up in the super regional. You know, and I think that year in particular, you know, you, you got the sense that the Gamecocks gave it their all to their final out. I know that last game against Arkansas was a blow, but Arkansas was just outstanding. Carolina went out there and took a game from them. You know, so I, I think that year, which I think was, was 2017, I think that season's, you know, you, you've kind of felt like, you know, hey, that this is Gamecock baseball again. Uh, only one other moment since – and I'm, I'm Holbrook's year two is when it kind of started. You started going, wow, you know, because Gamecocks again were a regional host. Uh, things are spinning, swimming, you know, going swimmingly. Carolina's never lost a regional at home. Maryland comes to town and beats them. Uh oh. You know, and it was eventually going to happen. You're not always going to win every single regional at home in, in this sport. But it was jarring. And then you follow that up with a year where you don't go to the tournament. And alarm bells happen. Then the next year, Holbrook gets in the in, in the regional. They lose to Rhode Island in the opener. But then for one day, two days, in, in Gamecock baseball fashion, they battled back. They got great pitching, got through the loser's bracket, beat UNC Wilmington twice and advanced on to the Supers. So for that moment, things were fine again. Well, then the next weekend against Oklahoma State, things didn't really turn out that well. You didn't feel like you know, well, they Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was on a roll and did beat Clemson, but you, I don't think I didn't walk away from that super. And I don't know about you thinking, wow, you know, the Gamecocks battled all, they, you know, battled hard and all that. The, the bats were anemic. 
Uh, it was 99 degrees. The crowd was, I mean, it just, Oklahoma, that was just a, a sad super regional. So since Tanner left, and, and, I, I mean, and I'll say since Holbrook's second year, because his first year in 2013, Gamecocks played a really good North Carolina team in the Supers and did take them down to the wire. So when you talk about Gamecock baseball, I think it's about always meeting your standard. Um, and my buddy's talking about, oh, they're seventh in the SEC. And, and I, I don't – you know, I, they are, but they're also one of the, you know, host sites, one of the probably 20 best teams in the country. Uh they got a ridiculously hard schedule draw from the West. Had they played the bottom three, you know, in, in that division, I, I think the Gamecocks would have probably won the East. You know, I think they've been seven and two instead of two and seven, but that's just the luck of the draw. Um, and I think we're going to find out, you know, with, with some of this anemic hitting and things like that, is is this a situation where this team just can't hit? Or is this a situation where, you know, these guys have faced some really, really good pitchers and really, really good teams. I don't know the answer. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I know I get just as frustrated as you guys do watching guys strike out and swing at bad pitches and stuff. I'm not a baseball guy, but I can, you know, it, it's tough to strike out a bunch. And Abbott's a big strikeout machine, so they they got to be really careful in their approach at the play today. Brett Carey's got to have a good game. But I, I think the goal here is to, you know, meet a standard. You know, win or lose this regional this weekend. I, I think Old Dominion's really good. Um, I don't know that they've played anything close to the schedule the Gamecocks have. Uh, just looking at it, you know, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, where they're, you know, I don't want to say hype, but you know, they're the, I think, the 11th seed in the tournament. I'm not sure where that comes from, or the 12th, 11th, 12th. I'm not sure they're one of the top 12 teams in the country. Uh, but you know, they're, they're kind of a mid major and, you know, people in baseball sometimes, you know, mid majors in baseball are a different animal, you know, and, and even some people don't even call them mid majors like coastal Carolina and schools like that. Dallas Baptist, you know, you, you kind of think, I hey, should beat Dallas Baptist if you're an SEC team, but they're pretty good. And so, you know, as we move forward, I, I think that's just the key for this weekend, just play to the standard and, you know, it, it's, this fan base has been through so much crap, you know, so much crap, but with, with the, the Spurrier to Muschamp transition, the Muschamp era not working out, you know, nothing since the final four in men's basketball, baseball all of a sudden not being something you can count on, with the exception of women's basketball, which, you know, a lot of people love and care about and great, and I'm I'm happy for them. But, you know, that's not a whole bunch of the fan base that, that you know, most most Gamecock fans, some don't even care about baseball, but most base Carolina fans are football, football, men's basketball, baseball, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, that's the key. Play to the standard, you know, and, and we'll find out at the end, you know, when the season's over, whether it's over this weekend, next weekend, or they go to Omaha, you know, how you feel when you walk away. What, what are you thinking, um, you know, in terms of, how this team maximized because that was the key to the Tanner era. It was now, and he always said, you know, he said, you got 27 outs. Uh, it was never, you know, let's go win 50 games. Um, although they did several times, it was, you know, when that team got in the postseason, not Hoover, NCAA tournament, 
you knew they were going to battle their asses off. No matter how good or bad they were, you know, the whole tenure, the whole you know, 13, 14 years, um, until, you know, the last out of the game, the, tw- the 27th out of the game that they were not winning. So that's the key for baseball right now, in, in my opinion, and, uh, and that's that. Uh, football recruiting still going well. Antonio Williams, you know, if there's one guy, and I said this, that you, you put a point out for football recruiting, that there are no must-haves. But Antonio Williams, the receiver from Dutch Ford, given the Gamecocks need at that position, given that he's a local kid, given that he's immensely talented. I mean, I, I, I think even though he, he – now, he's ranked by 24-7 sports composite higher. Sorry, Red's, uh, Red's barking there. Um, as the number one receiver in the state over Adam Randall, who's going to Clemson. I love Adam Randall, don't get me wrong. But, but I think those rankings may be right, and I think there may be even a, a greater separation in terms of uh, Red. Did he eat a hairball? Got to love Red being on the show. It's awesome. <laughs> now I build a. I need to build a sound studio or something. I don't know. It's crazy, but uh, you know Antonio Williams. It, it, he's a guy that like right from the beginning, talking to sources at South Carolina, they identified him. They're like, we need to get him. He's a must get. Justin Stepp and Eric Kimry are working at, you know, Murphy Holloway, who was a Carolina basketball player for a minute, but played at Ole Miss mostly. Uh, he's a stepdad, you know. I've heard through the grapevine because you know you always worry when I, when a, there's a Columbia guy involved that played ball, major sport, and left the state twice. <laughs> you always kind of worry about that, you know, because there you have some kind of you know some people are just like, hey, you need to get out and go expand your horizons and and um and go um and leave, you know, Dutch Forks right there in Columbia. Uh, and so you worry about that and the influence if, if you're South Carolina. Now, I mean, I, I think it's kind of silly to, you know, to think about you're worried for the, the player's well-being because, you know, who are, who are any of us to sit there and tell anybody how to raise their kid? But if you're South Carolina and you're looking at from a needs and, you know, South Carolina needs to get him perspective and it's right there in the backyard, you know, uh, you kind of are concerned when, when you've got a guy that did leave and, and was pretty successful, you know, when he's at Ole Miss and all that. But I, I don't think Murphy Holloway is going to stand in the way. And they've been, they've been, they were aware of that. They've been talking to him about it, that kind of thing. Um, I do think if Clemson offers, that can, that can change the game. And, and I'll tell you why, you know, it, it's simple. South Carolina has a track record of, putting in-state prospects, players, in the NFL. Clemson has a broader recent tradition of putting receivers across the board in the NFL. You know, yeah, Mike Williams and Martavis Bryant and DeAndre Hopkins were all in-state guys. You know, but then you got a T. Higgins, you know, Mari Rogers, you know, all, all those guys that played for them. Um, and uh, their receiver track record just speaks for itself. And I think for an in-state kid that's, you know, come into his own during a time where a school in the state has won six straight ACC titles and played in every playoff since the first one um, and put a lot of kids in the NFL and, play, you know, playing for national championships, you know, that that's – look, speaks for itself. Uh, and so that's going to get tricky 
if that happens. But you know, right now, I think the Gamecocks are in pretty good shape. Um, we'll see what happens with all these visits. You know, if Alabama offers, which I could see them doing, because I think he fits in with what they at least did with Sarkeesian, I think that's going to be an issue too. But he's on campus today. Uh, big priority kid, big priority. And, um, you know, we'll have some returns from that if he talks. He's interview-wise, he's kind of getting tired of it, I think, uh, a little bit. So we'll see kind of what happens. Uh, you got some kids from around the state camping today. Xavier Short from Chapin, Officer from App State, Charlotte Coastal. They're evaluating him as an H back. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. I know they like him. Um, Christian LeBrun, uh, I wrote an article about the Gamecocks recruiting approach yesterday and how working north south is smart. Pete Limbo, all over the greater New York area, six foot one, 210 pounds safety, Boston College, Maryland, Nebraska, Tennessee, Virginia Tech, West Virginia. So th- this kid may end up being pretty good. Uh, they're gonna, um, they're going to offer him an elite 2023 defensive lineman from Christ the King in New York City, Tyreek Blanding. Previous staff offered him. Uh, Gamecocks have re-offered Arizona State, Miami, Michigan, Nebraska, Oregon, West Virginia. That's a, that's a good list for a 2023 kid. Um, Jackson Long was an intriguing tight end from Hendersonville, Tennessee, that's coming in. You know, he's got you know, 6'5", 220. He's got Tulane, Miami of Ohio. Uh, Wisconsin's looking into him. Uh, we'll see how how he does at the camp. He's a guy they want to camp. Uh, Demarion Ginn is a linebacker from South Aiken. He was at Barnwell. Um, intriguing guy, 6'3", 203, listed as a linebacker. Georgia State offered early. Um, Red doesn't like Georgia State, I think. What did Sean Elliott do to you, Red? Uh, and they're going to camp him today. And I think, um, you know, look out for him. I know that the Kitchings and Rod Wilson had him kind of on the radar, but we'll see kind of, you know, what Clayton White and those guys think about him. Um, and he'll work out today. I, he's an intriguing guy to me, as all these in-state guys are. Uh, but another linebacker. Oh, speaking of in-state, South Carolina did offer yesterday, finally. Uh, and I say finally because I get asked about him a lot. Um, the kid from uh, Sumter. Ranked 17th in the state right now. I'd probably bump him up a bit. But anyway, uh, 6'2", 270, high motor guy. Talked to Keith about him yesterday on the lot on the Gamecocks podcast. I think this guy can be like a Lottie Azure boy. That's kind of, you know, just if you look at his aggressiveness, his build, interior guy long term. Really, that was the offer he was looking for. And I, and if you know, if you're looking for because you know, sometimes you you know, South Carolina or anybody will offer and Clemson did this with a lot of guys. in-state kid only offer. Boom. <laughs> and it happens. Uh, and Clemson's done that a lot with, with success, and, and so the game guys. But sometimes, you know, you're like, well, who else really offered this kid? Well, NC State offered Jackson after he visited. NC State's defensive line coach is a guy named Charlie Wiles. He was at Virginia Tech for a long, long time. He absolutely can evaluate defensive linemen as well as anyone in the country. So, and NC State was the leader there for a little while. 
but then after the game, cock offer myself, Helma Granahan, and 24-7 Sports National Analyst Brian Doan all have put in crystal walls for the Gamecocks. You know, Jimmy Lindsay sort of doing work there. But DJ Jackson from Sumter uh, has been offered. I, I think, you know, I don't know that I would rate him as high as Justice Boone as far as prospects go. Maybe I would. I'd have to see him. Um, But he was more productive at Sumter than Justice Boone last year. Uh, and it's good. Gamecocks, you know, if you think about it, with the exception of Boone, you know, you got Tyreek Johnson, who's from the Sumter area. He didn't play at Sumter High School. But then you also have uh, O'Donnell Fortune on the roster. If you get DJ Jackson, you know, Sumter puts out good players. I mean, you know, it's 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 one of those areas of the state where, you know, you want to make sure you get the Sumter guys. Heck, they're the Gamecocks. So there we go with that piece of in-state recruiting. But the Beamer camp rolls on today. And um, certainly a lot of excitement from yesterday and – you know, I think I think a lot of coaches and people like me are just happy that it's happening again. You know, I, I think that's kind of a, a really good deal. Um, Keyshawn Bryant, Jermaine Cousinard withdrew from the draft. That's probably happened since the last time I talked to you. I, I think that helps Frank Martin quite a bit. Uh, those two guys are veterans. They played a lot of ball around here. They know what the expectation is. I thought Keyshawn was a bright spot in an otherwise terrible year. You know, Cousinard, really good his first year, not so good last year, but I think we recently found out he was going through a tough personal time uh, in addition to COVID and all that good stuff. And people are like, well, everybody went through COVID. But if you're Jermaine Cousinard, you're from Chicago, okay? Your friend gets killed. But – it's COVID, right? So so you can't just exactly hop on a plane and go home anytime you want. You're sort of isolated from everybody because of the pandemic. Um, I can see where that would take a toll on a guy. And, you know, going out there and playing in front of, you know, 250 fans or whatever they let in the arena most of the night. I mean, that, 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 your game may be off. I mean, you know, Kusinard – Keep in mind, this is a guy that during recruiting was considered a steal. Louisville, Marquette, a lot of these schools came in trying to get him. Um, and, and I think that's big. And I, I think for him to return to form is big. I think with Keyshawn, obviously he had a better year last year, average, what, 14.4 a game. But he can get better. I mean, he, there, there is more for him to work on um, in terms of his offensive game, his defense, all that good stuff. Combine those with the newcomers and – you know, Seventh Woods, of course, left now. And so, yeah, heck, I, I, I don't know. I'm not making any promises. By the way, they South Carolina scheduled a two-for-one in basketball with Western Kentucky. They're playing the Hilltoppers in Columbia this coming season. So there's a little scheduling tidbit. And, and the schedule is going to be important this year because I think it's pretty important for the Gamecocks to go out and get some Ws. I think, uh, uh, you know, don't don't lose to don't, no lesson games this year, no losses to the Stetsons of the world. Um, and you don't know if that's going to happen because it sometimes it takes Frank Moore in a while for his teams to gel. But, you know, I, I think what this does, Brian Cousinar coming back, uh, the players they've added, I, I think all this does is, is give them a chance. Oh, and by the way, if you're complaining about I mentioned this in another podcast. Frank Martin's son, Brandon, being on the team as a walk-on, you know, get, yeah, but probably have better things to do with your time. Just to say it. Let's just, let's just be honest there. But, uh, you know, as bad as things looked 
at the end of last season when it looked like a coaching change was happening, you had players jumping off the boat, whatever. You know, now you, you know, two of your best guys are coming back. You hit the portal. I, I think a lot of these guys are very intriguing. You know, Stevenson and Wilson are just defensive guys. Uh, and I, I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts here that Frank Martin goes back to the defensive style, in your face defensive style that's made him successful his entire career. You know, last year they didn't play defense. I don't know what it was. So kind of kind of was a team that went up and down the court when they were shooting well, they were competitive or they could win. But most of the time they couldn't shoot well enough to do anything. And it was it was a disaster because they certainly weren't defending. Uh, and so we'll see what happens there with basketball moving forward. All right, mailbag. There's two ways to get into the mailbag. First is go follow Inside the Gamecocks podcast on Twitter. That's at the Big Spur Pod. And tweet at us because we like that. Um, and then there's the, the inbox. By the way, if you have a business, you want to sponsor the inbox, let me know. I'll cut you a pretty good deal. We've got thousands of listeners. Um, I'll cut you a deal. So hit, hit, hit up the inbox, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Um, all right, so it's time to go for that right now. Trying to get this out before first pitch because I don't know. Uh, worked in the newspaper business 20 years ago, so I kind of feel like I'm on a deadline. But anyway, so the first one's a baseball question. Jeb says, what's up, JC, on your show? Thursday, Tuesday, you said that if the Gamecocks lose in the regionals, then people will still compare. Uh, sorry, the people start comparing Kingston and Holbrook. You even implied it would be fair. I disagree. I do think we have earned high expectations as a fan base. However, Holbrook took a team that had been in the finals three straight years and couldn't maintain it. Kingston, on the other hand, took a team to the Supers who had missed the postseason the year before. Year two of Kingston wasn't great, but that often happens with coaching transitions. As frustrating as it could be to see this team strike out repeatedly, I still think Kingston's teams play better than Holbrook's did. Not excusing your regional loss before it happens, and I think we win, but I don't think it's time to start comparing the two tenures. Yeah, my buddy I was talking to, like, you know, wants to do that. I just think it's – I mean, you know, you look back on well, Georgia football, for example. Is it fair to compare Kirby Smart, you know, what Mark Rick did 20 years ago? No. But people do. <laughs> Mark Rick was 52 and 13. Kirby's 52 and 14. You know, um, I, I think overall, and look, I, I'm not. And again, kind of like with Will Muschamp, how your record sort of follows you elsewhere. Kingston's a guy that did a really good job at a really bad job in Illinois State. Um, and then South Florida is a job with a lot of potential, but they haven't won, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, it's kind of like all sports. That you, you know, UCF, USF has a UCF problem. Um, I'm going to be pulling for USF a lot this year, though, so hopefully they turn it around with a gridiron. But, you know, USF's a job that nobody's been able to win. He went there and won. But if you look at Kingston, though, and, and I, I said this in the opener, about being consistent and, and realizing that, you know, you're fighting to the last out, you know, his, his teams weren't, it wasn't like 
at Illinois State, he was in a regional all four years and won four conference championships. It was, it was sort of up and down. Um, South Florida, the three years he was there, it was, uh, you know, they were good years, obviously. Um, you know, here I'll go through it. Illinois State. He, uh, Missouri Valley Conference. See, I think this is a, this is a league where you got to win the tournament to go. He was there five years, won 173 games, which is great for Redbird baseball. <laughs> um, 32 and 24 made a regional. Did not make a regional, did not make the tournament his next four years. Hired at South Florida. Regional his first year, losing record his next year. Back in the regional year before we got Carolina, super regional first year at Carolina. The second year was the disastrous year, and I, and I look, I, I do think, you know, that team wasn't very good talent wise. I think you can pin it on Holbrook a little bit. Um, eight and twenty two is tough. They lost a lot of one run games, things like that. You know, then twenty twenty, I said we we need to just scratch that. Obviously, it wasn't a perfect start or a good start at all. I wouldn't even call it good. 12 and four is good, but when you lose to Northwestern in a series, that's in your South Carolina, that's not good. Uh, and then here we are. Uh, and and, I, and I, I think that that's kind of like my concern about Kingston is that, is that South Carolina baseball needs to be consistent, consistently good. You know, that that's the standard that's been set. And Mark Kingston has not done that so far during his career at his two previous stops. You know, it's kind of like I said, like like people that Will Muschamp, the Florida Albatross hanger, hung around his head. Now, I am not, but before you start screaming at your, your podcast apparatus here, I'm not in any way comparing the job that Mark Kingston did in eight years at Illinois State and South Florida, two difficult jobs with a 28 and 21 record at the University of Florida in football. Uh, I think obviously that this is not as big of an albatross, but you know, like I said, if you're looking for that consistency, if you look at his resume, uh, it's not always there. He's won 40 games once in his career. South Florida's last season, you know, Tanner won 40 pretty consistently. Now look, 40 wasn't happening this year because they went and scheduled Texas. You know, I mean, it just <laughs> that, that's that, that's a, that's you know, pretty brutal schedule. The schedule prevented 40 this year, but, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, and I, I think that, you know, I agree with you to a certain extent that Holbrook, Holbrook inherited a much better situation. He was handed the keys to a Cadillac. I still don't think that that was the wrong choice. Uh, it didn't work out. In hindsight, obviously, you, you'd probably say, yeah, thanks for the memories, Chad, and go get somebody else. But, uh you know, I, that's just how college, you know, college programs that are high level of success, athletic directors are very averse, you know, to not promoting from within. You know, and, and I, I think even you go back to Spurrier at Florida, you know, Zook wasn't on staff there, but the Zooker was a former Spurrier assistant. Uh, and so I think that and then really there was nobody on that. Unless they, they weren't going and getting Bob Stoops back from Florida, you know, from Oklahoma, right? at that point or any at any point really um so other than that there's really no spurrier assistance that made sense to have the job that was the staff he had down there was just kind of like his uh like his buddies i guess you know <laughs> i don't think you can give it to john hoke either but um and zook you know to his credit good recruiter came in did whatever 
But these big time programs they they promote, you know, same thing Alabama football when Bryant left, Ray Perkins got the job. When Gene Stallings left, Mike DeBose got the job. Um, North and, and I'm gonna use this example here recently. You've had two of the best college basketball teams in the country with coaching changes uh, recently. Roy Williams hangs it up. Hubert Davis gets the job. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski hangs it up. John Shire gets the job. You know, and then Duke's got a pretty extensive external coaching tree out there with the Capels of the world and John and Johnny Dawkins, people like that. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of what great programs in college athletics do. And I'm telling you, if Ray Tanner had gone to the beach instead of being the athletic director and ridden off of the sunset, there is no way in Hades that uh, North fellow North Carolina graduate Eric Hyman isn't going to hire Chad Holbrook for that job. I mean, that's just that's just kind of how it is. And I've sidetracked myself there. So do I think it's fair to compare Kingston Holbrook? I, you know, it's fair. And I said it is fair, and I'll stand by that and disagree with you slightly here and, and say that that's just – the way it is. That's just the standard of this program. I will also give you and concede to you this point. Um, it, it is. And in baseball these days, too, I mean, it, you'd think it'd be a sport you could go reload quickly because there's players coming in, going out, going to the pros. But you recruit in this sport, the way you recruit in the sport now with AAU ball and travel ball and all that, and guys commit way early. And you're not going to upset the apple cart and and prevent yourself from being able to recruit a travel ball team or whatever by taking a guy that's committed to the previous staff and punting him and and massively doing that with a lot of guys. You know, so even in recruiting, Kingston was kind of stuck with some guys. So I'll concede that point to you. Um, I'm just saying, like I said, that there's standards for this program that were set. And uh, there's a chance for those standards to be met starting this weekend. So uh, that's Jeb. And he said, stay cocky, my friend. Absolutely. Um, Jay, Grayson, JC, would love to hear your thoughts on two things. Under Armour deal, when does it expire? And will we have the gumption to move on from them, even though we're getting more money from them to Nike, Adidas, or Jordan? I think 2026 is when it expires. I'm ready to move on from Under Armour. Um, and I've ne- I've not been that way. I- I've always said that's a freaking I mean, that that's people looking for reasons to, you know, why you didn't get a recruit, why you're not winning games, all that. You know, they're Texas Tech, Auburn in basketball, South Carolina. They've been to Final Fours. They're all Under Armour schools. Uh, I will I will say this though, and and this is what got me off the Under Armour bandwagon. And, and and it may not have been Under Armour's fault. I'm just saying somebody somewhere should have said something. And and I'm not even a uniform guy. You know, I'm not I'm not one of these people that gets into uniforms. I you know I think that you know I'd, I'd rather them play well than look good. But sometimes you look good, you play good. Anyway, it got increasing like a lot of things during the Muschamp era. It got increasingly frustrating every week with the Battle Armor videos. And just the the hodgepodge of colors. I mean, you're, you're you're really when Steve Spurrier walks out the door at the University of South Carolina, and you hire Will Muschamp, you are immediately behind the weight ball in terms of branding and, and being differentiated. You have a national championship program in your state. You have an SEC championship program. 
across the border in Georgia. Mac Brown's at North Carolina. You have to do something to differentiate yourself. Now, the idea was, and this is a lot like a lot of the stuff of the must champ, you know, mix it up. South Carolina really has no traditional Gamecock uniform anyway. You know, they're not like some schools, you know, mix it up like Oregon and let's see what's, what's going on. Well, or like Maryland does. And Maryland's an Under Armour school. And so this is my point. None of that happened. It was nothing like Oregon or Maryland. It was basically we've got a red garnet pair of pants, a white one, and a black one. Same thing with the helmets. I mean, you could have done all kinds of different creative things if you were Under Armour with, like, special palmetto tree and crescent type look. You know, they, they did the script Carolina for a year, and that's all well and good, but, you know, what the – that's not that's not Oregon or Maryland. I mean, you look at Maryland; they have a uniform. The Maryland state flag is pretty cool, uh, and and some people may think these are hideous, but like the Maryland state flag, you know, yeah. Um, you could have done. You could have even brought back the the Philadelphia Eagles wings thing that Sean Elliott used against Florida. I mean, there was just so much more in terms of uniforms you could do, and 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 you, and then on top of all that. The South Carolina uniforms Under Armour makes are among the ugliest that they make. You know, Notre Dame has special uniforms. They're Under Armour. I mean, it just, I'm off the bandwagon, you know. (laughs) I uh, I thought the Under Armour deal has served South Carolina very well because they were a Russell Athletic School before switching to Under Armour and all that. And I don't think right now you, you go and you get out of it. Uh, but, I mean, unless Under Under Armour's struggling financially and they may drop schools or whatever. But I think right now the Gamecocks, just like every other athletic program, they need the money at least for a couple of more years. Um, and, and I would just play it out and let it expire. I, if I were Shane Beamer and Ray Tanner, I'd probably, you know, and my hope is Shane kind of eliminates the let the seniors vote on the uniforms every week thing. Because, I mean, there's some games the Gamecocks look like Texas Tech, and that's – you know, how are you supposed to, I mean, I don't know, build a brand. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I would, I would understand it. Like I said, if they were special uniforms every week, but they're not, I mean, you, you arguably with the, the wounded warrior project uniforms, the Gamecocks wore sometime under Spurrier, arguably the entire Spurrier era, you know, and he didn't change uniforms a bunch. They had the big game Barnett. Sometimes they come out in black Stormtrooper for big games on the road. Um, uh, you know, arguably the Spurrier era had more creative uniforms start to finish than Muschamp, who put a premium on it. I just, you know, somebody needed to be a little more creative. Uh, Under Armour within the – I don't know. I don't know who. But that that lost me on Under Armour. So, uh, I think, you know, and, and look, kids do like uniforms. I mean, prospects, they, they are appealing. Uh, and, you know, it's a shame because I, I do look at other Under Armour schools and think, Wow, they've they've done a pretty good job, but uh, you know, so I'd let it expire. Uh, you know, go through twenty twenty six, whatever, shored up financially. You know, maybe talk to them a little bit about, hey, look, we're going to do this, that, and the other. I don't, I don't know. I have not found out what exactly Beamer intends to do with the unis. My guess is it goes back to something similar to the Steve Spurrier era, where it, you know they switch it up, but it's not every freaking week. Where you're just like, oh, well, we're gonna we're gonna wear the white helmets. This we're gonna do this, and I just you know, um, 
So they did have the throwback Gamecocks jerseys, and, and I thought that was cool for a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I just think if you're going to change jerseys or uniforms every week, go for broke. You know, it's like when you used to see the schedule and it came out, and you're like, you know, I remember looking at the and I'm I'm using this as an example because it's in my mind because I grew up in the upstate. You see the Clemson schedule, it's like, well. You know, this day it's solid orange day. Well, well this day it's Ipte day. And this day it's, it's veterans, you know, m- military appreciation day. And this day it's student day or whatever, parents weekend. And so, you know, just about every game has a special designation. So if you're going to have a special uniform for every single game, let's make it special. Let's make it special. And, and I'm not saying you, you got to wear – 12 different uniforms for 12 different games because, you know, you, you can, you can get by with it. You know, you need, you need to, if you're going to do that with the uniforms, you need to be creative. Otherwise just find something that works and stick to it. You know, and, and I thought, Oh, what Spurrier did with the uniforms was fine. Even when he's losing, you know? <laughs> so anyway, all right. So, so what I do is I'd let it expire, uh, play out the contract unless Under Armour wants to get out of it. And, uh, and then, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd jump and I'd probably, I would do everything I can, assuming Dawn Staley's still at the University of South Carolina, which I have no doubt she will be. I'd do everything I can to get my entire athletic department with Jordan Brand. Now, right now they have one per conference, but that could probably change because I, I think that's the type of apparel that kind of, you know, kids can get behind and that they really like it. Otherwise, you know, I'd go with the highest bidder between Nike and Adidas. Uh, Adidas helps with basketball. I think their football uniform stuff has been creative. Uh, you know, Nike, how much are they really going to pay? Uh, so that's what I would do. I, I'd go with Jordan or Adidas. Um, but I don't expect uh, – and I, I just don't think – you know, had the pandemic not hit, I think it's a conversation to have – because the SEC TV money is about to expand quite a bit. Oh, hey, are we really serving ourselves in our recruiting efforts and all that by sticking with Under Armour? Um, and the answer is probably no, but I think it's irresponsible, at least for the next couple of years, to, to look all that money in the face, say, no, we don't want it. We're going we're gonna, we to you know, go take you know, 80% less because we want Nike. I don't think that's smart. Uh to current uniforms and if there'll be any changes sometime in the next few years. I don't know the second part of that question, but I, I answered the first. I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan. I, I just uh, – of the switching it up and all that, I was – you know, I, I'd have to see the uniforms for this year, but I think in general the Under Armour Carolina uniforms have been, you know, not good <laughs> uh, or mediocre at best. Uh, you know, and, and look – I'll be honest. You talk to 10 Carolina fans. Some of them like the Gamecocks. Some of them like Carolina on the front. Some of them like the block C. Some of them don't like the block C. Some of them like this. Some of them, you know, so there's, there's a lot of different opinions about that among the fan base too, just like with any fan base um, that doesn't have consistent uniforms. But I just think that, you know, like I said, the idea under Muschamp switching it up every game, great. The execution, horrible. And it and as time wore on, it wore on me too because I'm like, and it's probably you know losing doesn't help that, but you're like, you know you're so so now this week you're wearing a white helmet, great, you know it's just like ah you know what what's special about all this nothing, and so I, I I'm curious to see 
you know, how it evolves under Beamer, but I don't, I don't have any kind of like hardcore answers on that. Mitchell says, hope all is well. I don't have anything directly tied to Gamecock football, but I do have a question about the future of college football. I know that one of the biggest issues facing college football today is how the talent gap between top tier programs and smaller tiers are massive. It feels that if you're not Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, or Georgia, you have no chance to make the playoff. All right, before I read your next question here, those teams are talented, but, you know, let's put Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma in the SEC with Alabama, and then you're probably talking about, you know, whoever else is making the playoff. Those teams making the playoff and having a chance, those four, not Georgia, uh, because Georgia's running into the same thing, you know, are a function of the four-team playoff. And, you know, honestly, Notre Dame's made the playoff more than Georgia, you know. So, um, you know, don't let recruiting rankings cloud your mind there. I mean, Oklahoma and Notre Dame have made it a bunch, and they don't ever rank. You know, they're probably usually in the top 10, top 15. Uh but, you know, it's not like you have no chance. The, the playoff spots are very limited, <laughs> and so it's tough. And, and I agree that's an issue, but um, I, I think that the hype of recruiting classes and the coverage of recruiting these days and the definitive statements that are easy to make uh, when you're talking about, you know, I mean, like this week, Georgia got Eric Gilbert – and uh, Darian Kendrick, two former five-star guys. Eric Gilbert, stud. Eric Gilbert, you know, probably should have done a little better at LSU last year. Eric Gilbert, one of the best tight end prospects last 10 years, easy. No question if he's eligible, it's going to help Georgia. Darian Kendrick, maybe, maybe not. There's also questions swirling around about Eric Gilbert's grade. So, they basically got a guy where grades are kind of a question mark, and they got a guy at Clemson that's all very talented, but performance on the field against elite teams has been mediocre at times, good at times, not knocking his talent, uh, with all the field issues. So the national media sees this, and it's like, you just, oh, Georgia, it's title or bust now. Really? Well, you know why they say that. And, and, and I never did this when I was a – national recruiting guy I, I always kind of said you know this is going to help I think this guy could play this year this is realistic you know football is not basketball you're not going to come in with a recruiting class and win the whole thing or nor is you know a smaller or lower ranked recruiting class going to doom you for this season now do I think Eric Gilbert and Darian Kendrick are no-brainers for the dogs to take and if they play up to their potential do I think that boost Georgia's chances next year? Absolutely. But nobody talks about the question more. I mean, these guys, you know, all they still have, they have the five stars behind their name. You know, the question, are they going to play or not? And the media, they're going to beat every SEC's team by double digits. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why? Because, I mean, you didn't say that a couple weeks ago. You know, we don't know if Eric Gilbert's going to even be eligible. And Darren Kendrick, I mean, is a great athlete. Is he a difference maker? Red doesn't think so. I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to Kirby Smart because 
If he didn't win a title, this y'all everybody said you should title or bust. You know, as I said, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not knocking Georgia. I, I think JT Daniels uh, really came into his own last year. I think he's a fantastic quarterback. I, I think they're going to have enough at receiver and running back on the offensive line and on defense to really be good. I absolutely would pick him to win the East and can't rule out a playoff berth, can't rule out a national title. But but this hype over these star ratings and, and, and you know, rep – Gets gets ridiculous, and, and Mitchell it feeds the narrative that nobody else has a chance. It feeds the narrative, you know. Um, and with the transfer portal, it's only going to get worse because you know, in this business, and I'm the same way. Uh, you want to be right about your rankings, you know. Oh, this guy's good, you know. And, and NFL draft scouts want to do it. I mean, it, it's you know, it's there's ego, so you always want to be right. And my concern is kind of with the blending of recruiting and college football these days and how people just overemphasize, you know, the projections that that it's going to create a false narrative that, you know, there's all this talent on these teams when, you know, these guys are transferring for a reason and maybe they should have been knocked down a couple of spots in the rankings. Uh, not Eric Gilbert, by the way. I, you know, Darian Kendrick, probably not a five-star. Probably has not performed like a five-star during his career. Eric Gilbert probably would leave him because I I still, I still, think if he can get eligible and get in there, JT Daniels, I mean, he's a, he's a freak athlete. Now, I mean, you know, another thing people just ignore is the kid went to Florida for a while and then came back. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, there's just a lot of question marks. Yet everybody, the talking heads, oh, hey, championship or bust now. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, and I'm not talking about a guy like Josh Pate, who even before this happened was saying George is going to be good on offense this year. I agree with him. And it's not even really about Georgia. It's probably about being fair to Georgia and their staff and their players and expectations. You know, not that they shouldn't have national championship expectations because, by God, there's no reason why that program shouldn't. But, you know, I think fans, and I think maybe you're doing this, and I got, I'm going to read the rest of, of your, your email there. A lot of fans, like, you know, when, when they got Kendrick and, and, and Gil, Gilbert this way, they just gave up. You know, oh, God, you're never going to beat these guys. I mean, no, that's, that's not true. I mean, you guys may not even play. There's 22 guys on the football field, folks. All right, so – he goes on. Mitchell goes on. College football today reminds me of the NBA with all these super teams. That's not true. The only super team in college football is University of Alabama. Period. Ohio State's really good. Clemson's really good and dominates their conference. Oklahoma is really good and dominates their conference. The Pac-12 is probably a better conference top to bottom than the ACC or Big 12. They just don't have a dominant team, so everybody thinks they suck. And then, honestly, some of their recruits, instead of going to SC, they're going to Oregon or heading east in California. But there aren't. There's not. There's no super teams. Um, except I, I, you know, Alabama probably would qualify, but they've had the number one recruiting class for eleven out of twelve years. It takes time. You know, super. It's not a. There, no, there's no super teams now. Look. Let's say there's a school out there that really gets active in the portal, maybe in a shady manner. 
And, and, and they start going to some of these, these schools that are second tier in terms of names, name brand, brand. And they just start picking guys off every year. And that's how they build their program. You know, then I think you're, you're starting to get into a NBA style free agency thing. But right now, I mean, look, man, uh, if you follow, if you're a fan of recruiting and you follow recruiting and you you're in George's division and you see Kendrick and Gilbert same day, oh, two four five stars, former five stars, former five stars. Now I said I still rate Gilbert a five star, but I'd also have to take into account. This kid went and transferred to Florida, then transferred, was going to go back to LSU. Then went back to Georgia. And, you know, what's the deal? You know, there's grade situations. And then with Kendrick, he certainly wouldn't be a five-star. I think he's performed probably Darian Kendrick. If you, if you, if you could do it hindsight and go back and rank, re-rank, he's probably a high three-star guy. I'll be straight honest with you, Mitchell, and everybody else out there. I, I think the more significant pickup for Georgia – in the transfer portal, as far as their secondary goes, uh, is this kid they got from West Virginia, um, which the Gamecocks tried to get a whole lot. Um, I mean, don't be freaking fooled, you know, by the by the star ratings from three or four years ago. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think that Tyke Smith is his name. And, and see, here's where the, the the transfer ratings get off a little bit. You know, he's rated as a, as a force, same as – he's rated the same as Darion Kendrick, you know, coming out of the portal as a player. But he's performed a lot better than Darion Kendrick. Not that Darion's been bad, but Darion's not even close to it. Tecky Smith's been elite in a conference where you don't even play defense all that well. You know, but because Tyke was a three-star kid coming out of Philadelphia – Back in the day, um, and Kendrick was a five star from South Point. They're going to give Kendrick the benefit of the doubt. That's stupid. That's stupid. That's 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 clinging to something, you know, that I've been really good at <laughs> and made a living at over the years, and I'm proud of, and I defend. But 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 you know, I never thought. Well, you know, once you get to college, you know, they're kind of you kind of have to reevaluate, you know, based on what they're doing in college, in my opinion, if you're ranking transfers. You know, so, so that's my thing. And that's why I don't like the team talent thing that we have on 24-7 sports either, because all that is is their star ratings, you know. And, and I don't think that's fair to coaches. Yeah, because it gives no credit for the guy that can go find the three-star and coach him up. And, and, yeah, yes, that happens at Georgia because Eric Stokes was a mid-three-star guy. And that was their only first round draft pick from the state of Georgia this year. And so I don't, I don't you know, I, I don't get it. I don't, there's never, there are the only super team in the, in the country this year is Alabama. And it's because they not only recruit as well as anyone numerically with the number one classes, they evaluate as well as anyone. They have tremendous amounts of depth. They have very little attrition. And like Nick Saban said, he's going to turn the portal into an advantage for them because, yeah, they can go get Henry Toa Toa. It's Alabama. You get to go to the NFL. And Toa Toa, that's a legit guy. That's a guy I'd actually keep at five-star. At least Tennessee's best player. But um, so that's my take on that. I mean, we're living in a dynastic era with, era with Alabama 
And then Clemson, Ohio State are really good. Clemson evaluates as well as anyone in the country, too. They just don't take anybody up there. You know, everybody thinks, oh, it's just you know, all these five stars. No, they don't. they don't. They don't just take anybody. They evaluate. Dabo gives out very few offers. Mitchell says, in your opinion, what is the best way to spread talent equally across college football so more teams can have success and opportunities like South Carolina? I think it's more of an expanded playoff situation than spreading talent equally. I mean, I think talent is in a lot of people's minds. You know, honest to God. You know, you look at North Carolina last year, for example, okay? University of North Carolina. You know, they had two of the best running backs – in the country, both got drafted. Uh, both were studs. Both were three-star kids from the state of North Carolina. Better than 20 guys rated at four-star or whatever. And there's countless examples of that when you look at the draft and the All-American teams or whatever. Now, of course, there's Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and, you know, JT Daniels was a highly rated guy. You know, and there's a lot of highly rated guys that do pan out, but it's just not all about that all the time, especially once you get to school. I mean, I just, you know, you want to talk about talent, you know, you know, South Carolina went to Georgia a couple of years ago and Carolina's defensive line punched a great offensive line in the mouth. I would say man for man, Georgia's probably a little more talented on the O-line. The Gamecocks on the D-line. The Gamecocks did have Ken Law and Wanham, some of those guys. Um, but, you know, what did Georgia's higher star ratings across the board really mean? I mean, Wanham was a low three-star. Ken Law was a low four-star out of JUCO. Some thought he was a D offensive tackle. I mean, so what did it really mean in that game? You know, what, what did it really mean – you know, in the uh, in the the game where Clemson beat Alabama forty four sixteen for the championship, Clemson team had a lot of talent. But if you if you stacked up the star ratings, you'd think they shouldn't be on the field. And I'm not saying South Carolina does not need to sign top ten classes and all that. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. But you still have to coach them up, and and you still you know, are going to end up with guys that are rated highly that don't perform well, guys that aren't that are really good. I mean, you know, compare Taylor Stallworth to MJ Webb. MJ's a good, solid role player, 10, 15 snaps a game for the Gamecocks. Has gotten better. He is a four-star kid coming out. Um, Taylor Stallworth was a mid-three-star from Alabama that Kirk Bodkin kind of get that with it there and gotten. That, that guy is in the NFL and a stud. And that's at one position, defensive tackle. Melvin Ingram, high three-star guy coming out. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, I'm not saying you don't need to sign highly rated guys. They're great. I'm saying there is there is a, a pathetic narrative out there, and, it, and it's partially because of the, the condensed playoff, you know. I mean, Clemson and Oklahoma running through their league, that's not news to anybody. You know, you look at the other teams in those leagues and, you know, it's 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 pretty much not news that they're going to win the Big 12 and they're going to win the ACC. Um, Ohio State, well, Urban Meyer was there. <laughs> and Ryan Day has kept it going. And, and that's a school that's always in the top ten in recruiting or wherever. 
you know, Urban Meyer really does a good job putting together a roster. Curious to see how it happens with Jacksonville Jaguars now. They signed Pharaoh Cooper, by the way. Um, Clemson. People don't even get this. Clemson does not recruit numerically like Alabama. They don't. Nor do they want to. They do their own thing. They're their own unique thing. Yes, they get elite talent in there. But, you know, you kind of look at the Tigers and, you know, nobody wants to talk about who's actually kind of doing the playing up there and and making the plays. You know, people just kind of talk about the stars and, oh, and, and, you know, like I said, and I think this is the problem with this kind of stuff, Mitchell, because you just kind of give up before you start and you don't pay attention to reality. You know, these are projections for fans, you know, by some good people who work hard in recruiting. Don't get me wrong. But, but but this is not predictive. This does not predict the future, individually nor team-wise. Um, you know, so, I, you, know, I, you know, looking at Clemson, let, let's go here. Let's go their draft history, all right? So Trevor goes number one overall. Obvious player that needs to go number one overall. Well, look, Travis Etienne. So here's Travis Etienne. Compare Travis Etienne to Tavian Feaster. Who's better? Clemson got ETN late out of Louisiana. LSU was lukewarm on him. He was just a – he was rated as what? He was a high – he was a low four-star guy, which is kind of like the level of guy Carolina signs. And, you know, some of folks out there are like, well, that's not going to help you close the gap. Well, Travis ETN certainly helped Clemson close the gap, didn't he? Very important player for the Tigers, right? You know, then Jackson Carmen, the five-star offensive tackle, good career, got him out of Ohio. Um, Omari Rogers, four-star guy, mid-four-star guy. You know, Cornell Powell came into his own this year, but had a long journey to get there. I loved him coming out. You know, go back to the 2020 draft. Tigers had a bunch of guys drafted, right? Two, four, six, seven, or five this year. Isaiah Simmons, number you know, number eight overall pick. High three-star from Kansas. Freak player, though. A.J. Terrell, on the other end, borderline five-star. T. Higgins, absolutely a five-star. Tanner Muse, third round. Nick Muse's brother. Mid-three-star from North Carolina, which I never understood because that kid ran 4-5 and was 6'2", 220. You know, John Simpson, player drafted in the fourth round on the offensive line, player out of – Fort Dorchester, Gamecocks had a shot at, you know, would would not have been a player if Carolina had landed. You said, he's going to help close the gap. Fourth round, Kevon Wallace from Highland Springs, Virginia, low three-star. Final pick of the 2020 draft from Clemson, Tremaine Ankrum, Powder Springs, Georgia. This kid was an overachiever. I remember 6'2", 290-pound guy starting at offensive tackle. You know, he was kind of an overperformer. Uh, and, and so that kind of rounds them out, you know. So so when you look at Clemson, for every T. Higgins, there's an Isaiah Simmons. For every Trevor Lawrence, there's a Travis Etienne. You know, for every A.J. Terrell, there's a Kevon Wallace. For every Jackson Carmen, there's a Tremaine Anchor. Uh, and, and that's how they've gotten it done. Uh, you know, the, for the most part, their studs have hit – but then they've also gone and gotten the Hunter Renfro's of the world and, you know, all that good stuff, you know, 
you can go back to Mike Williams and Wayne Gallman and all those guys when they got it started, Jordan Leggett. You know, those guys were not guys that were, you know, five-star guys. Here are the five stars from Clemson that have been drafted. Okay, here we go. Jackson Carmen, Trevor Lawrence, like I mentioned. T. Higgins drafted. Christian Wilkins, who I thought could have been the number one player in the country. Dexter Lawrence, who probably should have been the number one player in the country. That dude was – those, those guys were monsters. But Cleland Farrell went ahead of them, and he was ranked lower than they were. He was kind of a mid-four-star guy. Um, Deion King got drafted sixth round. I think you got to go back to Stephon Anthony in 2015 for the next five-star that got drafted. So, Taj Boyd was a composite five-star. I did not know that. You know, so that, that that's how you kind of got to look at it. You know, Clemson is a – nobody wants to look at Clemson because they're the Gamecocks rival, and it probably does not sit too well on your stomach to see how well they're doing. But when you actually look at how what they're how they're doing it and how they built it, you know, they, they sort of built it with let's get the elite guys what we, where we can. Let's get some, you know, evaluate some guys, out-evaluate guys, and then build a program and a culture for winning that's unique that, you know, certain types of players want to come to over in Alabama or Ohio State. You know, and, and, that, and I think that's a good plan for anybody. You know, we'll see what South Carolina specifically does. Uh, but, you know, so, th- so that's the thing. It's not a – there are no super teams. There are no super teams. Um, you know, and, and, and Mitchell mentions, like, give the Gamecocks more official visits than Clemson. I, it, I just don't know how you do that, you know, because at that point it's it's more professional sports. And, you know, kids kids are going to be able to go to whatever school they want. It's free country. So I don't know how you do that in terms of – you know, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, thank you, Mitchell. That, that was a good question. And Red liked it a lot, obviously. Last one. Last one. Harrison. Hey, JC. Currently an Army officer stationed in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Thank you for your service. And have listened to your multiple podcasts for years now. Enjoyed every episode. I'm born and raised in Clover, South Carolina. Attended the Citadel. Congratulations. That had, had to not be easy. I've always been a passionate Gamecock fan. My wife and family members attended Carolina. Question, LSU has the tradition of passing on their number seven jersey to the best player on the team. Is it feasible South Carolina should take up a similar tradition too? For Kingsley and Iqbar, he's looking to wear number one. With the many stars who have worn one for the Gamecocks, seems like it would be the best fit for a jersey tradition. Seems like this would only help things like recruiting as incentive for the players, hype up the fans, et cetera. I know some star players who wore number one were Lloyd currently, J.C. Horn, Debo Samuel, Demir Bird, A. Sanders, Alshon Jeffrey, Captain Monerland, and Rico McWilliams. No doubt I'll think up some more questions for you in the future. Thank you. Good to hear from you, Harrison. Love all the work and the passion you put into your job. I, I'm all for anything like that. I, I think a lot of times that stuff has to happen organically. And, and I think right now, here's the, here's the, here's the deal. You know, you, you sit there and you do it. And then what happens when the guy that you get the number one jersey team doesn't have a good year? This fan base is going to chew up the tradition and spit it. I don't think we should do it anymore. Um, I know at Ole Miss they have the Chucky Mullins number. At Virginia Tech they have a number they give out every year. Uh, I think one is a great idea if you look at recent history with the Gamecocks. 
Um, I just think it's got to happen organically. And, and look, hey, Birch goes out and has a great year this year. And Lloyd, since they're both going to be ones, it looks like. Uh, you know, maybe that starts it. I think your idea is great. I really do. Um, I just think it's got to happen sort of organically. And, and I, I think Shane Beamer thinks a lot in terms of things like that. So that that's a positive that will happen. All right, folks, go watch baseball today. It's going to be a fun day. Enjoy. If you're founders, enjoy the atmosphere. Enjoy the big crowds. Sports are back. Um, thank you for listening. If you were at founders and you're, you're just catching up right now on this, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll be back next week with more big spur.com all weekend covering recruiting and baseball. Uh, certainly have enjoyed this week. It's been a fun week and hopefully there's more fun to be had here in the near future. JC Sherbert signing off. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone.